154, where are you? I had to try. 154 doesn't work as well as 54, though. That's okay. We're trying. So, to be completely on the nose for everything happening right now, we will be talking about 28 Days Later once we get into this podcast. I know, and hopefully it won't be that long in between episodes. Right? And I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. And we're Fried Squirms. And we're about to get stoned. I'm a little bit stoned right now, but I'm not as stoned as I usually am when we start this show, so... I think we're about to take care of that with some green hits. I think you're absolutely right. Now, in the wake of COVID-19, we do have our own Jays today, rather than passing them back and forth across the table. But I've talked about what I brought before today. I brought some Montana Silver Tip, but I think you brought some Jays and some Cinex, right? Right. So I did bring some Cinex over. This is actually homegrown, but... Some of the genetics the Cinex is based upon, it is a hybrid of the parents Cinderella 99 and Vortex. So it has a mixture of flavors ranging from like sweet citrus to earthy skunk. And I've talked about some of those terpenes before. So if you get in the citrusy notes, you have the limonene terpenes. If you're getting that peppery, earthy, it's more of that carophylline. And it also has notes of pine. So you're getting that from pinene. So a lot of those are for uplifting. It is a sativa hybrid. So... You're going to be creative. If you need a little bit of a pep in your step, this is a good strain for that. And it's uh, it's one of actually my dad's favorites, too, so I'm pretty excited about it. Well, pep in the step sounds good to me right now. So. Yeah, and along with that, I did bring over some of that concentrate I had last time, some of that berry kush. So I'm going to try not to hack my lungs out. promise it's not part of the corona. It's just us getting stoned. That's right. We ain't coroned yet. Nope. No, no, no. I usually stay away from Mexican beer, but <laughs> in light of all of these things, though, I mean, in all seriousness, we do stress taking the precautions necessary. Yeah, we may be even more precautious going into the future, but we didn't really talk about the show too much coming up to it other than, I mean, honestly, if there's any show where we're going to infect each other, 28 Days <laughs> Later is the one. So. That's right, right, right. So if, if we're going to blame anybody, it's going to be Danny Boyle, not Danny Doyle. <laughs> That's awesome. But, I mean, in the future, who knows what that'll bring. Everything's changing day to day anyway. I just recorded General Nerdery remotely. It's really weird. <laughs> I know, right? right. So, uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll, we'll kind of shape things around what's going on in our daily lives and the world as a whole. So we'll see what happens. But on that note, I just kind of wanted to throw this out in the beginning because I've already noticed a lot of my favorite content creators have already started stepping up and like putting out more content because they've been stuck at home. (laughs) We are probably not going to do that because if you're not really familiar and we don't like go around blasting what we do in our daily lives all the time, but like we both work in grocery. So we're fucking tired. (laughs) Oh man. You're not shitting dude. This weekend I felt like, just all this weight on my shoulders. And it was a lot of it because it was physical work, but a lot of it too is just stress and you don't realize it until you actually have a moment to sit down. And we don't have like the hard, hard job of no, like the but... doctors and nurses and shit, but man, I don't know if I've ever had a fucking couple weeks like this in grocery ever. I know, you're not kidding, dude. It felt like. And that's just the hard part. That's not like all the emotional and stress on exactly, top of it. Like, exactly. But So, extra shit ain't getting done yet. If we end up quarantined, we'll definitely put out extra shit because right. we won't have anything fucking better to do. Exactly. So, be on the lookout for that. You know, honestly, too, 
I'm not that worried about if it does come down to that because I do know that we have a creative outlet. So in one respect, it's like I do look forward to it if it comes down to that. But if not, that's okay, too. We'll keep pumping these out. But if you were sitting there thinking to yourself like, well, shit, this person's putting out like yeah, extra episodes or... Like, oh, look at this. They have all this to, for sale. Like, these assholes don't have any merch. <laughs> They're like, why aren't they getting on that? It's fucking corona season. <laughs> it's because yeah. we've been working our asses off. So Yeah, we have. We put in, and put not in, in like work. an oh, poor me way. Just like a, we can't get on that shit until we got time to get on that. That's right. So. That's right. So you're right. Uh, it feels like all of the holidays combined into one weekend is what it kind of felt like. But we'll see what happens, man. Hopefully this shit clears up sooner than later. Anyway, that's Green Hits. You've already mentioned a couple names. Let's get in the Guts and Bolts 28 Days Later. Guts and Bolts. All right. 28 Days Later. How long has it been since this was labeled a pandemic? I, I mean, it's been over 28 days, but... But, I mean, well, here in the States, How many state, days though, has it been since it's been labeled a national emergency here in the States? Yeah. Like, we might be right at it. We're right in the thrust of it. You're absolutely right. Let's see. Start off, spoiler-free summary. After a new virus is accidentally released upon the world, younger man Jim wakes up from a coma in a London hospital to find the city damn near abandoned, things looking like an apocalyptic wasteland, and then you find out why the virus was named Rage. Sweet, man. Yeah, that's a good brief synopsis. And, of course, from week to week, we like to talk about the cast and crew, the people going to making this film. And this week, I'm going to lead off with our director, who I already mentioned, Danny Boyle, not to be confused with my name. So Danny is known for some really cool films. Actually, he started off with such films as Shallow Grave. One of his early films, actually, that I Danny really Boyle's enjoyed. known for, like, real films? Yeah, dude. I mean, some pretty interesting films, like Train Spotting is probably one of his better-known films. A film I actually like. There's a band I'm, like... I know I've mentioned them before because of our episode of Shaun of the Dead, but there's a movie that he directed called A Life Less Ordinary. It's actually a song as well by the same name from the band Ash, but it stars Ewan McGregor and Cameron Diaz. Actually, a pretty good film. He's also directed the film The Beach, which I highly recommend if you haven't seen it. He's also directed such films as Millions, Sunshine, Slumdog Millionaire, 127 Hours, Steve Jobs, T2 Train Spotting, and more recently Yesterday. He's a producer on several other films, but yeah, pretty big name in British and just in cinema in general. Right. So moving along, we have writer Alex Garland, and Alex is known for some pretty cool stuff as well. Alex wrote one of the best comic book adaptations of all time, Dread. Yeah, that's pretty awesome, man. He's also the writer on such films as Sunshine, Never Let Me Go. He's also the director and writer of such films as Ex Machina, Annihilation, and more currently a TV miniseries entitled Devs. I've heard good things about Devs. I want to point out that Ex Machina is also amazing. I have not seen that yet, but definitely want to check it out. Yeah, I do like some good sci-fi. All right, moving along, we have cinematographer Anthony Dodd-Mantle, and another one of those gentlemen's got some pretty cool works. I'll lead off with such films as Julian Donkey Boy, which is a Harmony Korine film. If you haven't seen any Harmony Korine films, highly suggest them. He's also been the cinematographer in such films as Lars von Trier's Dogville, 
Danny Boyle's Millions, Mandalay, which is another Von Trier film, The Last of Scotland, Slumdog Millionaire, Antichrist, 127 Hours, Dread, Rush. Some really cool films. Snowden, T2, Train Spotty. Really? Antichrist? Yeah. He's worked with uh, Lars Von Trier a lot, which is really cool. And such films as Kursk and more recently Radioactive. Moving along, we have Chris Gill, our editor, and he's got some really cool works, too. He's done such things as Sunshine, The Invention of Lying. You might have seen his work on such things as The Guard. He's also done stuff like Moonwalkers, The Last Call, The Cured, American Animals. More recently, such things as Sulphur and White and Waiting for Anya. Moving along, we have our music composer, and that gentleman is John Murphy. Another one of those gentlemen, like I said, he's got some really cool bodies of work. Those include such things as Leon the Pig Farmer. You might have seen or heard his work, excuse me, on Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels, which is a cool-ass Guy Ritchie film. Also Snatch, another one of those Guy Ritchie films. Vacuuming Completely Nude in Paradise, which was a Danny Boyle television film. (laughs) All About the Benjamins, Friday After Next. Basic Instinct 2, Michael Mann's Miami Vice, 28 Weeks Later, Last House on the Left, which was the 2009 version, Kick-Ass, and Love Never Fails, Forever Found. He's also done a couple of documentaries, but yeah, some pretty cool bodies of work. This soundtrack is one of my favorites, too, by the way. All right, moving along, we have some really cool special effects teams. We have special effects teams such as Senna and Image. Film Opticals, they help with the end titles. Clear, help with the visual effects and DV up conversion. Creature Effects, help with the prosthetic makeup effects. Emergency House, special effects, help with the pickups. Moving Pictures Company and Real Eye Company, help with the contact lens. This was produced by Andrew McDonald. All right, the release date for this was November 1st, 2002 in the UK and Ireland. It premiered in January 2003 here in the United States at the Sundance Film Festival. The distributor for this was 20th Century Fox. They helped with the 2002 Worldwide Media. Production companies were DNA Films and British Film Council. It had an estimated budget of around 8 million pounds. It grossed, which this is going to blow some people's minds, 82.7 to about 85.7 million worldwide. I've got a couple of taglines, two of them actually. The first tagline I have is, the days are numbered. It's pretty on the nose. And number two is, be thankful for everything, for soon there will be nothing. Eh, They're both all right. Yeah, I mean, you know, nothing too extravagant. I kind of like, like I'm looking at the poster right here, and it has the tagline down at the bottom, the days are numbered. Mm -hmm. But I kind of like the part up above where it goes day one exposure, day two infection, day three epidemic, day four evacuation, day five, or whatever it says. It's not day five. It's like day one, day two, day something, day 16, day. It's just progression. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. And then the last one is devastation. No kidding, right? Mm-hmm. All right. So move along. Talk about our cast, which is really star-studded. Maybe not so at the time, but definitely now. All right, I'm going to lead off with Killian Murphy, who plays the role of Jim. I love Killian Murphy. Yeah, if you're not a fan of Killian Murphy, you're probably not a fan of cinema. But I think of such films as Cold Mountain, Red Eye, which is another Wes Craven film, Breakfast on Pluto, which is a really, really good film. Some people probably know more 
whether it's Peaky Blinders or is his role as Jonathan Crane or Scarecrow in the Batman films of the Dark mm-hmm. Knight trilogy. Uh, he's also starred in such things as The Wind That Shakes the Barley, the film Sunshine, The Edge of Love. He was in Inception. He was in the film Peacock. I think uh, more recently, I've already mentioned Peaky Blinders, but also such films as Transcendence, In the Heart of the Sea, Anthropoid, Dunkirk, uh, Delinquent Season, and more recently, Anna. I mean, still to this day, I don't think he's tall enough, but I think he could use a lot of force perspective. I think he has the right look and carries the right gravitas around him that he has always been my fan pick if they were to ever do a live-action Helsing. Oh, dude, sweet. For Alucard. I would love that. Right? Killian? Hell yeah. He would nail it. But I could see that, some force perspective. Mm -hmm. That'd be dope, man. I'm with you on that one. All right, we have Naomi Harris. She plays the role of Selena. And Naomi is known for such films as this Pirate of the Caribbean film. She was actually in the second and third films of that series. She was also uh, Eve Moneypenny in the James Bond film Skyfall. Right? She's which our is latest really Moneypenny. Awesome. That's so cool. Yeah, she was also Inspector in No Time to Die. And from what I read, too, that was a little bit more closely, her role that is closely associated with the novels as opposed to some of the pictures, I guess, like the cinema depictions of her character. It was really neat. Now, she was also in the critically acclaimed film Moonlight, which I still need to watch, man. I've heard some really good things about that. So Yeah, I've never seen it either. Yeah, it's pretty cool, man. But she's also a ninja assassin, which I do want to see. So Hell yeah, dude. <laughs> All right, we got a really cool actor in this guy, and this is an Irish actor, and I'm talking about Brendan Gleeson. He plays Frank in this film. Now, some people might know him in his roles in Brendan Braveheart. Gleeson. He was in the film Michael Collins. Gangs of New York, Cold Mountain, the 2004 film Troy. He was in the film Suffragette. Some people might know him for Paddington Part 2. In Bruges is probably where I know him Mm. from, really, because that's a really cool-ass film. See, I think for me, I always first think of him probably Braveheart. Yeah. Then Gangs of New York. Okay. Then Lake Placid. Ooh, nice, nice. Yeah, I see that he was in... I mean, like, I'm looking at his partial filmography right now, like... I love Braveheart. I've probably seen that movie a good 70 times. Like, I've seriously watched that movie a shit ton. Lake Placid, I went to in theaters. Mission Impossible 2, like, I went to in theaters. (laughs) AI went to in theaters. Gangs of New York went to in theaters. That's pretty awesome. I've probably seen that a few times. Uh, Some of our Harry Potter listeners, perhaps, might recognize him in The Goblet of Fire and The Order of the Phoenix as Alistar Mad-Eye Moody. He was also in Beowulf as uh, Wiggloff. Yeah. Which is really cool, man. He was also in Deathly Hollows Part 1. Uh, he was in The Pirates. Which is really cool. He was in The Smurfs Part 2. Yeah, like I said, some really cool bodies of work, man. Even more recently, like Frankie, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, things of that nature. I haven't watched it yet, but he apparently is in Paddington 2. Paddington 2 is supposed to be a fantastically magical movie. I did see parts of uh, the first Paddington. First one's fun. Because my nephew's, yeah. you know. Yeah, so I got to see bits and pieces of it. Megan Burns plays Hannah, or Hannah, which is his daughter in the film. And she didn't have like a huge body of work. She only did some other films like in uh, Intruders and Liam. But from what I read is she also goes by Betty Curse, which is kind of a gothic persona that she performs under. So she's more into the music side of business, I should say. Yeah, really kind of darker pop rocky types yeah it's really cool okay so moving along we have uh christopher eccleston he plays major henry west really interesting guy doctor 
was it ninth incarnation? Mm-hmm. And was it just a season? Just one season? One season. But oh. he's the one that brought it back. Like, if he wouldn't have got it, it wouldn't still be going to this day. You know what I mean? Yeah. He had that one season to leave. That's all it took. And- that's all it took. That's really neat. And that's, yeah, that helped kind of spark David Tennant's career and stuff of that nature. He's my first doctor. That's awesome, dude. Hell yeah. Oh, yeah. I know that's a tangent. My mind's, mine's not. (laughs) Mine goes way back. All right. Some of Christopher's filmography includes the films Jude. He was also in Shallow Grave. He was in Existence. Gone in 60 Seconds. That's pretty awesome. He was in the film. Raymond Kalitri. Yeah, he was in the film. Strumpet. uh, Actually, from I've seen, 24-Hour Party People. Pretty decent film. He was also in G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra. He was in the film Amelia, Thor, The Dark World, the film Legend. And more recently, he was in Where Hands Touch. And also, he's done a lot of television work. So, well, actually, I've seen him in The Leftovers, HBO series. That's a really good fucking show, man. I highly recommend that one, too. So there you go. All right, moving forward, we have actor Noah Huntley. He plays the role of Mark in this film. Oh, hi, Mark. Uh, some people might recognize him because he's been in such films as The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion. The Chronicles. What? The Chronicles. Oh, yeah. The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe. He was also in Snow White and the Huntsman and Dracula Untold. I know he's been in some other action kind of movies and stuff like that. So Dude, people you're might recognize that 1997. him. Oh, yeah. I see Event Horizon. This is pretty neat. <laughs> yeah. So. Got some pretty cool bodies of work. All right, next gentleman I have is Stuart McQuarrie. He plays the role of Sergeant Farrell in the film. And some of his filmography includes such things as the films Hush. He was in Train Spotting, which is really neat. He was also in the films Blood. He was in Terminator Dark Fate. And like I said, he's also been in quite a bit of television, too. So no stranger to that. All right, moving ahead, we have Richie Harnett. He plays the role of Corporal Mitchell in this film. And he's known for such films as The Object of Beauty, which he starred alongside John Malkovich. He was also in the film Breathe. He's been in such uh, television series as The Thin Blue Line, Casualty, The Bill. And it says uh, you might recognize him for his role as Dylan in EastEnders. EastEnders is huge, right? Oh, yeah. If you're in England, that's a huge uh, television series. All right, moving forward, we have... This cast has done well for itself. Yeah, I was just saying, this is kind of one of those films that really sparked a lot of these people's careers. All right, we have Leo Bill, who plays the role of Private Jones. He's known for such films as The Living and The Dead from 2006. He was also in Alice in Wonderland. He was also in The Fall. People might have seen him in FX or BBC One's drama series Taboo. Some of his other bodies of film include such things as The Canterbury Tales. He was also in Jekyll, Me and Orson Welles. More recently, things like Strike and In Fabric. So... Some pretty cool films. All right, we have a really interesting gentleman, not because of his bodies of work per se, but because of what he does in film. And I'm talking about the actor Toby Sedgwick, who plays the infected priest in this film. Now, he is known because of his choreography work and also for working with horses. And he's actually won some awards for his choreography, which I thought was really interesting. I have a couple of other actors and actresses, and that will round out our cast and crew. And the first person I'm going to mention is Alex Palmer. He's towards the beginning of the film. He's one of the activists. But some of uh, his bodies of work include his roles in Master and Commander. You might have seen him in Harry Potter and The Goblet of Fire because he is Death Eater. 
And he's also in a really, really cool film I would like to get around to someday. But I'm talking about the film Eden Lake, which is a really fucking good film. Moving forward, we have Bindu Distopani. The only other body of work that I would really mention is she was in The Beach, Leonardo DiCaprio, which, like I said, is one of those films that Danny Boyle directed. Mm-hmm. Um, highly recommend that one. Can't say that enough. And the last person I have... Yeah, I know I watched it, but it's I don't good, remember man. a fucking thing about it. Has Tilda. No? Robert Carlyle. Like I said, some... Oh, shit. Yeah, some big names. Really good film. I haven't read the novel, but I need to. And the last person I'm going to mention is David Schneider. He plays the role of the scientist in this film. And he's known for his bodies of work, including Mission Impossible, The Saint, and The Death of Stalin. One other person I should mention is Marvin Campbell. He plays the role of Private Mailer in this film. But he's more or less known for his bodies of work because he's a stuntman in a lot of films. So that was really interesting. But anyhow, that includes our cast, our crew. You gave us a brief synopsis. We should give you guys some warnings for this film. So this isn't a spoiler because they're not zombies. But think of the kind of violence you would see in a zombie movie, but speed it up. Yeah, like really sped up. And I'm not talking about like fast walking you see at the mall. (laughs) And the most graphic stuff is all cut away from, but there's still a good amount of like pretty decent gore gore and blood. More blood than gore. I read that the word fuck is said 61 times, so you have an aversion to the word fuck. You might want to plug your ears a few times. How how many times has hello said? A lot. (laughs) Maybe not 61 times, but a lot. So, I mean, you're going to get your natural stuff. Like I said, violence, cursing. Nudity. Yeah, there's some nudity. There's some dong. I was about to say you could see Killian Murphy's penis. Yeah, you totally can. (laughs) Uh, Surprisingly, no boobs, but definitely dong in this film. There's some boobs. I'm trying to think. Yeah. Some of the infected. Oh, that's, yeah. That's probably why I did that's right. Why I didn't pay attention. <laughs> it's not good boobs. <laughs> Valid point. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's uh, the name not kind of applies itself. Not as bad as um, Shining boobs, though. You all know the boobs I'm referring to. <laughs> <laughs> if not, yeah, go check it out and then come back. But that's pretty much the nature of the beast, which you're going to get into this film. If you've seen the poster, it kind of implies some things. So there you go. You've had uh, 18 years to get watch this film. Right. Um, let's find out how it made a squeal. How does that make you squeal? So, if you are one of our loyal listeners and listened to the end of last week's episode, you will have heard me already say, I didn't much care for this movie. I was wrong. <laughs> I've never seen this movie. Oh, no I've kidding. seen 28 weeks later without uh, ever having seen this one. Okay, okay. That makes a lot more sense, considering, yeah. So, this one, I'm perfectly fine with. I like this movie. (laughs) We'll get to it. There's a couple things that I was iffy on, and some of it, like, I get it, and it's a choice. It's just maybe not the choice I would have made, but... Understandable, yeah. But yeah, no, I. it turns out I'd never seen this movie, so... The short off is, uh, yeah, I ended up enjoying this movie, but we'll get through some of these bits and nice, man. we'll talk a little bit more about that. But Yeah, so my little bit of history with this is I do remember when it came out, actually, because I, I think I started watching this. It would have been, I know I've said this like a million times on the show, but it would have been right around that early, mid-2000s, 2004 or 5, is 
about the first time I'd seen it. Because I remember seeing the cover. I knew who Danny Boyle was because of Train Spotting. And I was like, oh, let me check this out. Because I'd heard all that buzz about the new style of zombie. Yeah, you know? fast zombies. Right, right. So I was like, let me give it a go. And I liked it. I mean, it without saying a whole, way too much, is it definitely has that British aesthetic. Part of the reason I avoided this movie is because I'm not a big fan of fast zombies. There's times they work. I'm actually a really big fan of the Zack Snyder Dawn of the Dead remake, which is fast zombies. Faster zombies? They're not like rage zombies. But they're quick, yeah. But they're quick. But that's the thing. These aren't zombies. Yeah, they're just infected with rage. And I don't know why that makes such a difference in my mind, but everyone kept referring to this as a fast zombie movie. This was the first fast zombie movie, or however people would put it. Especially in that time period, because that's part of its reputation and how it was blowing up. But they're not zombies. Right. And they're not, like, subsisting off human brains. They'll bite at you, but that's because they're just attacking animalistically. And, you know, they have some need to feed, but there's a lot of shit that they could be feeding off of in this movie, and they're not. 100% agree with you there. And that's what does separate them from a traditional zombie, which we've covered several times on the show, but... Yeah, I think that was the big draw to it at the beginning, was the fact or the rumor that, yeah, these are fast zombies. This is different from what you've seen before. And to me, that was a part of the appeal, too. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie about it. And, uh, yeah, so I have a bit of history. Not that I watched this a lot, because I'd be lying to you if I said it. I mean, mainly because it's almost a two-hour film. So, But up to now, I've probably seen this film a half a dozen times, roughly. Mm. Also, I'd say that I've probably mellowed in my views of fast zombies. I just kind of prefer slow zombies. Like, my preference is still there, yeah. but at one point I was way more vehement about, like, fuck fast zombies, what's this bullshit? <laughs> but, I mean, it's whatever, it's just not my preference, but I'm fine with them. Yeah, I'm kind of right there with you, too. It's There's a certain appeal to it, but it's not my favorite style of zombie. Mm-hmm. This may be the best version of it? Yeah, you could argue that for sure. I mean, this one really kind of sparked that movement moving forward i mean into more recent history i mean if you look at the timeline this sparked the zombie revival oh without a doubt you know if you stack this and probably some of the because Resident it Evil was stuff, lumped in with zombies even though it wasn't a zombie movie. technically right 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 but it still fit that bill i mm-hmm. mean i think if you didn't really give anybody too much background they would probably say yeah this is a zombie film left for dead was directly inspired mm-hmm. by this movie that's one of the places I really like. Fa- I mean, the Left 4 Dead games are fun. They I don't are. mind fast zombies there. Although I do kind of like some of the different mods that make it like a lot less ammo. <laughs> only headshots count. But wow. if they make them slow zombies, but increase the horde size by like three times. That sort of shit. Jesus, yeah. It's just like a wave. That's a little bit more my style. I like the creeping inevitability of death. Like, you can put these guys down kind of like how you'd put down a normal human. Because right, they're right. just an infected human. Essentially, yeah. With rage, like you said, times a million, roughly. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's go through this film okay, a little bit from the cool. beginning. That's cool. Because one of the things I don't like from the get-go, and from what I've read afterwards while researching shit on this movie, is that it was a stylistic choice for Danny Boyle to make this movie look the way it does. Right, right, right. Digital as to opposed me, to film. To me, not knowing that... And not normal digital. This is 2001 digital. Right. So it does have still that grainy feel. Not knowing that going into it, 
I just thought it looked dated as fuck. Oh, I can see that, yeah. I thought it looked like the same production level as Christopher Eccleston's season on Doctor Who. Makes sense. Other than the the zombie effects, or not zo- the infected effects. I thought those were really well done. Right. But, like, the way everything else was shot, like... I kind of thought I was just looking at a Doctor Who episode. Honestly, Doctor Who's had some of those scenarios where some of those exact <laughs> landmarks have been cleared out with no humans. That's like, funny. And then Christopher Eccleston shows up. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> so not knowing that, like, all it does is make the movie look dated as fuck. Yeah, and I can like, understand I kind of get what he was... But the reason I've read that he said that he did that was to make it feel more realistic. Mm-hmm. But he's not, like, shooting at shaky cam, and no, he's not yeah. shooting at point of view... He's still giving a bunch of intensely cinematic shots just on intentionally shitty looking. Right. And I and kind of think it detracts from it all these years later. I think, too, maybe as uh, for you and me, but not, not necessarily you and I, but maybe as a whole, as American cinema viewers or, you know, watchers, is that's why I said this film has that British aesthetic, right? Mm-hmm. If you're not used to that. And it does feel like that early 2000s, late 1990s feel to it. Then, yeah, it's, it's going to throw you for a loop a little bit is what I'm getting at. But he also did say that a lot of it had to do with the fact that in England, in the United Kingdom, it's like they're surrounded by CCTV. So that was another part of the reason why he filmed it that way, too, mm-hmm. is it was kind of a voyeuristic way of watching real events happen. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I get it. I get it. It was a little bit bold at the time. I was about to say, I feel like it worked better in the time period, but it ages the movie quicker than it should. I agree, because it still has... I shouldn't have to do that research for that to come across. No, I Well, I understand that completely. I guess that's the point I'm getting at. But yeah, I mean, considering how many films we watched that are shot in film, Mm -hmm. comparatively, yeah, it it does have a different feel. But I kind of like that, too, because it does, for me, it puts me back in that time period a little bit, at least maybe that train of thought. Makes me think about what I was doing back during that time period, too. So there's a little bit of nostalgia there, I suppose. And here's the other thing. I swear I'll get to how much I do like (laughs) some parts of this movie. But I think Danny Boyle, he has proven himself. He's made some great works of art. Trainspotting. You don't have to make a movie better than Trainspotting ever. You know what I mean? If you come out with Trainspotting, then you're... You're pretty much good. You know what I mean? Yeah. At least you did that, because most people can't say they ever even did that. No, no, not even close for a lot of people, but you're right, you're right. And this ranks up there. This started an entire movement within the horror genre. Like, the first act of this movie feels generic as fuck. Right, right. And a lot of it, because of the inspiration it it drew from, like, Day Mm -hmm. of the Triffids and things of that nature. So it wasn't anything brand new. So, yeah, it's just a, a way, to, I guess, to carry this plot out. I'm kind of bored until Frank and Hannah come into the picture. Right, right. Because at that point, it does move things quicker. The pace becomes a lot quicker. You're more other than that, Other than the weird cold open with the monkeys. <laughs> Not the monkeys. Because <laughs> I was sitting there, I was smoking some Obama Kush while watching this last night because I got a couple J's. Thanks, Obama. And I was, yeah, I was sitting there and was like, thanks, Obama. I was, I was thinking back to like brighter times when we had a, a competent leader. And not a freaking pandemic. <laughs> uh, and that opening when Clit shows up to release the fucking... <laughs> <laughs> I am the Clit commander. Dude, I just, I kept laughing through that entire scene because I'm like, what if oh, Jay and Silent Bob let these fucking monkeys go? That would be an awesome mashup. I would love to see that. <laughs> what if they let that fucking monkey... 
And then I was like, it's one thing for Jay and Silent Bob to let Suzanne go or any of those other creatures. Because when you saw them, they were in kind of like normal cages, right? Yeah, yeah. Why do you let the things go that are completely sealed off to the outside world? Exactly, dude. In the state of those chimpanzees is like, yeah, I'm... As much also, as it sucks, fuck with the chimp. No, no, say as much as it sucks, they are far too gone. So, in that defense, it was one of those things we talked about a couple weeks ago on one of the other films. Is like you have good intentions, but sometimes your good intentions don't have good consequences. This is a major case of that. I was wondering, like I said, because I figured out this was my first time through this movie, and so I was wondering that first time through how much the whole like road to hell is paved with good intentions thing that they were going to lean into or not not really not really but i mean it does something a lot neater i think but right right right, right. uh, because i do like parts of this movie i'm almost done bitching (laughs) (laughs) but that's pretty much what that is and i thought that was interesting in a sense because you know we all know some of the horror stories about research labs and things of that nature and whatnot so like i said they go in with noble cause somewhat the scientist warns them you know, in in these cases, usually the scientist is the bad guy, and what Listen have to you. The scientists, you have to. I mean, if if that is not transparent enough, the shit that we're dealing with is further proof that you need to listen to people who've actually studied these things. <laughs> you know, I mean, he might not be expressing it the right way, but the information the is scientists. correct. Yeah, it is objective. There's no subjectivity to it. There are times to have conspiracy theories about things. That time is not all it of the time. It was not that time, especially when the proof was right in front of them. Yeah, that time is not all of the time. These are people just like you and me that have spent their life studying one very particular thing. <laughs> yeah. And put a lot of time into one very particular thing. So if they want to talk about this one very particular yeah, thing, we'll listen, to them. listen to them. <laughs> yeah. The one thing I, I do know... And this is my own experience, is that if you listen, it never has personally harmed me, <laughs> like, to the point where I feel physically harmed, <laughs> you know, or emotionally damaged. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you take it with a grain of salt. If you don't like it, so be it. But, it, you know, like you were saying, if somebody studied their entire life, they probably know what they're talking about more than we do. Even in this part that I'm I'm saying feels generic in the first part of the movie, like, after he wakes up and shit, like, there's a super high point with that. The end is extremely fucking nigh. Yeah. It is awesome. <laughs> it is. It's poignant, it's succinct, because I will say this. I thought this was kind of neat, too, like, watching this review it a little bit. It goes from a dream to a nightmare, in a sense. You know, because you wake up in this fog, you're alone, London is alone. <laughs> There's total isolation. And you're right, until he gets to the church, which there was a reviewer on YouTube, so I have to cite them a little bit, who talked about this, and I thought this is interesting. You can look at it as kind of a tale of purgatory, if you want to look at it as an allegory, you know. So I thought that was kind of neat. It's like the first figure he kind of goes to is the priest, right? So it's a little sense of authority, maybe some kind of structure, you know. Unfortunately... He's in a house full of uh, either people who've died or are infected. Been killed or infected. <laughs> yeah. I'm surprised more of the infected didn't run at him other than the priest, but... There's one problem I have with that scene. Only one problem. Okay. Is the smell. He would have smelt that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if he, he can smell it in his that. house, he can smell it in the church. 
Guaranteed. You would have smelt that shit like a block away. Oh, yeah. It would have stunk the high hell. That's the only problem I have with that scene. But after that, he, you know, he takes off because he's starting to get chased. And that's when we're introduced to Selena and Mark. Oh, hi, Mark. <laughs> oh, hi. Oh, yeah. So for some reason, I was having a hard time remembering who Mark was when you were talking about it earlier. Okay. That, so that was Mark. I mean, that part's all fine. Right. It just it carries along the plot. All of that part ties into what the last big thing that I'm going to point out that I don't like about this, and it's his fucking use of his coma trope so that they have to explain everything to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he says he's you just get a courier. It all through Expo. Expo. Ex- yeah. It's carried by some really good performances. No doubt. And so it's not the worst thing in the world. <laughs> I'm just like, so you're just going to lay it all out. Because you're just going to make it a character so they have to tell him. Because he has no knowledge of the last 28 days. You're right. They're he just has no knowledge the of this exact specific amount of time. Because it's kind of implied that he got hit pretty much right when it started. Right. And I'm like, damn, he got jacked up fucking good if he was out for 28 days. Right. Yeah, which actually, once we get towards the end of this, I'll bring that up. Because got some insight into that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... You're right. They're having that dialogue once they get past the explosion, which is really neat. They actually had to get, like, paperwork to blow up that petrol station, gas station. So that was pretty cool. And he said he got some of the inspiration for them hiding in between the windows and that building Mm. structure from a photo he's seen. So there's a lot of inspiration for um, actual events. He said he took that from, like, a Northern Ireland bombing or something like that. Some of the opening sequence from the film was inspired by this... uh, filmmaker i think from sierra leone and places like that oh my how did i skip over that how insane okay the movie does start off on a weird insane high point because it feels a lot more like a weird b movie considering they're treating (laughs) a fucking monkey to the ludovico technique yeah yeah yeah. that's a clockwork orange right there yeah uh not only that but it kind of feels like the opening for a purge film as well you know there's chaos on the streets you know but all this doing it really just Driving home the point that there is this fervor, Mm -hmm. you know. But, I mean, also, you know, they're feeding violence to the chimpanzee. (laughs) See what that rage does. But, anywho, uh, what it amounts to is Jim tells him about his parents. He wants to go find his parents because he doesn't live too far from there. They decide to walk to his parents. That's where I was talking about the smell. He finds his parents have died. It looks like they've... Committed suicide. Yeah, taking some pills. His mom's clutching a photo of a young Jim, and on the back there's a note, and you're like, oh, damn. I did write it down, though, because it's like, okay, if, yeah. I, if I didn't, man, it'd be not I meant to write service. it down, and I just realized I didn't. So Okay, so the picture on the back is mom. I think it was his mom probably wrote the note. It says, Jim, with endless love, we left you sleeping. Now we're sleeping with you. Don't wake up. X. I was like, oh, shit. Right, the don't wake up. I know, that was the, if there's any line in this film, I was like, oh, dude. That really makes it a lot more relatable to, I think, just anybody who watches this film. That line is like an aw, man, and kind of in the feels. I'd say there's one other line that's just like a fucking throw your fucking cock on the table moment. But I'll point it out when okay. we get there. I don't want to give a... Well, I mean, we're in the spoiler section, but we're kind of just... Yeah, we'll, we'll get well, there. We're we'll going to get there anyway, because we're going to talk about all bits of this movie. But Nice. Yeah, so, you know, Jim sees that. 
So starting off with his parents, one of the things I did notice in this movie is even with as bad as that situation seemed, there still seemed to be a lot more suicides than I would have guessed. Mm. I mean, yeah, when things get that fucked up, some people are going to go that way. Yeah, like, fuck that. Especially with fucking infected running around like that bullshit, but... Yeah, no thank you. (laughs) Um... Still a higher percentage than I would have guessed from just the amount of, like, more intactish bodies that they run into and shit. Here's another thing that might be a little bit more exclusive to that part of the world in England and United Kingdom is the fact that a lot of people don't necessarily own guns comparatively to here. Right. So there's that, too. It's like their means of defense maybe are not as strong as ours if that same scenario played out, Mm -hmm. you know? A lot of us would be out there, uh, <laughs> you know, just target shooting. God, harder targets with these fast assholes. Bro. I know, man. Yeah, that'd be a challenge for sure. <laughs> so, speaking of challenge, the thing which sparks another one of those attacks initially is Jim is watching like an old 8 millimeter film of his parents. Mm-hmm. And the light, it attracts the infected. And so they crash through the window Mark and Selena help fend them off, and that's when Mark is wounded. And Selena doesn't hesitate. The first time through, I was like, yeah, because he got fucked up. Second time through, I was like, oh, she doesn't actually know if he got infected or not. Yeah, she's like, she just saw it in his eyes is what she tells him later on. But you're watching the same thing that she is. Yeah. And after you've seen more parts of this movie, it's a lot more questionable, like... Yeah. Did he actually get blood in his wound? Because he might not have. Exactly. And was it necessarily a wound from a, like, a scratch? I mean, it could have been from glass. Mm-hmm. You're right. And we don't know for sure. Because he was... lasted for like a good 30 seconds. That's what I'm saying. Turning. It's like 20 to 30 seconds is roughly that window. Yeah. But he wasn't exhibiting any signs. Oof. Yeah. She might have got an innocent. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, it's a big character-defining moment for her. Cause, and then she follows it up later. She, may, you know, mentions a couple things. You know, wouldn't, you know, not in a heartbeat. And, oh, she says surviving is enough. And that's what she's doing. She sur- she's surviving. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. I know exactly mm-hmm. what you're talking about. Yeah, so it's down to two, right? Mark is gone because of that. It's Selena and Jim. She's telling him to get some clothes, clean up, whatnot. They're, they need to move. And amongst their movement, you know, in the city, we spot a tower that has some Christmas lights that are blinking. So that lets you know there was probably some form of life. If nothing else, there's some energy, some power up there. And so they go over to it. (laughs) Amongst their wild climb up the tower, they get attacked by the infected. That's when we run into Frank and Hannah because Frank helps them out. Okay, so maybe this is the last thing I'm going to bitch about. On both shows I'm on, I have a tendency to call out movies when they use bullshit quick-cut editing to amp up what's going on, and you don't know who's where or what's going on for sure. And I realized that Danny Boyle did this to convey just the scared craziness of the situation that Jim has found himself in. Yeah, just very frantic. That being said, if the camera would have held still... (laughs) The scene that you would have just seen in that is Frank very easily taking care of a couple infected because he's dressed to the fucking nines and loaded for bear. And those two running and panting and being very safely away and nowhere close to the infected. (laughs) Yeah. And 
hammering like assholes on a door and not just answering the girl where her father is and being like, oh, he just sent us. He said, go down to this place. He's yeah. right at the front. We had two infected following him. That's all it takes. Right, right. And they're a safe distance away. There's no need even. <laughs> yeah. And the cuts are such that until they run into Frank, you don't know how close the infected ever are. Right, right. You're absolutely so right. So you don't know how much shit they're ever in. They might have been 50 feet away the entire time. But they just panicked. Yeah. That's a good point, too. Is like the editing, the cuts, the way they've done it. I think it's. I get just why to drive he that did point it, home, but you know? I just. Was it necessary? I feel like or? there's better yeah. ways of doing it if you're trying to make them scared because they're about to get got by infected. Yeah, that's a good point, too. I wonder, too, like, you know, this is his first foray that I'm aware of into horror like mm-hmm. leaning into this. So, you know, cinematically, maybe he's not used to conveying that kind of stuff. I think, I mean, what I think is it came down to a choice and he made the choice to convey the emotion of the scene. And I think he does do a good job of it. But if you think about that scene and how it breaks down logistically at all, then it seems like they don't even have really good reason to panic. Yeah, you're right. I think they drove home the point of that, you know, them closing in mm-hmm. and then them actually like, Boom, he comes in at that split second. Then, yeah, it makes a lot more sense. All right, here's the fucked up part about this film. And it's not the film's fault. Not the film's fault. Is after Selena and Jim are welcomed into uh, the home of Frank and Hannah, is they have a little celebratory drink and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So as they're doing that, filming it wise, do you know what day they were shooting on? Do you want to take a guess? Think about the time period. Was it the same day that they filmed the turtle scene in Master of Disguise? <laughs> Maybe. I don't know about that. But there's a film that we like to celebrate, Never Forget Day. Yeah. Just a different year. <laughs> yeah, by the way, Master of Disguise, the turtle scene, was filmed yeah. on September 11th. Right. So in retrospect, because it's been asked to Danny Boyle's, did they feel it was appropriate to have certain scenes in this film, like the Piccadilly Circus where... They have all the posts mm. about missing mm-hmm. people. It's like, oh, that's, you know, post 9-11. It's kind of a little distasteful. And in this scene, when they're celebrating, like they shot it on 9-11. And so, you know, it wasn't planned. It just coincidentally happened on that day. Mm-hmm. You know, so in retrospect, you know, it's like, ah, it's it's fucked up, man. But <laughs> what you going to do? Yeah, I know. I know, I know. But you're not thinking that when you're watching this film. It's just one of those weird little tidbits. No, when I'm watching this film, I'm thinking, God damn Corona. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's so poignant now. But the whole point of this is there comes a point where Jim and Frank are listening to a radio broadcast. Once they meet Hannah and Frank, like the entire movie picks up in a big oh, way. Oh, yeah. The me. pacing just shoots. And it's really good because you're more involved with the characters at this point. And this is where you get to, what's her name? I can't. Selena. Selena. This is where her character starts to change.
So they never talk about it on screen, but Selena, or her actress... Naomi Harris. Yeah, Naomi. And Danny Boyle came up with a backstory for the character where she had to kill her entire family, basically, yeah, yeah, to survive yeah. in, like, one day, because they all got infected and shit, and including, like, some younger brothers or something. Which is supposed to explain the way the reason why she is the way she is and she starts to make the change as her and jim are started to be accepted more and more as family by this surviving family yeah which is capped off not so much through her but through a jim moment where he gets comforted from his nightmare and calls him dad that's where she you know where she's gotten to the point where now she's looking out for others i mean it's skipping to the end a little bit but right more that that's more than a heartbeat you know what i mean but also sets up to for the fact. Ah, well, God, we're getting there. I'm jumping way. No, far it's okay. Ahead. It's okay, man. We're we're a little stoned too, so it's okay. <laughs> we're getting close though to what I, the shit I was about to talk about anyway. I think no so. problem. There's a, just a few things maybe in between before we get too close to the end. Is you got the road trip segment, right? Kind of reminded me of wrist cutters. I really like that, man. Some of those shots that kind of reminded off, me of Baskin. Yeah, like two shots in particular. There's a shot where they're in the taxi. And they're driving on that road, winding through the wind turbines. Mm-hmm. I really like that shot. It was like, I feel super European. <laughs> but it gives you that sense to, like, some of that stuff is wide open in the countryside there. And the second one I liked was they're driving through, it looks like a tulip field, but it's shot like a watercolor. Oh, yeah. It's like, I really like that. You don't see that very often, but that was a really cool fucking shot. Because it felt more like an art piece. Mm-hmm. than it did an actual like scene itself but all that stuff does what it amounts to is you write that bond they're starting to bond they hear that broadcaster they're heading out to that blockade in manchester they have the shit in the tunnel yeah that was that was a, that was a bad idea that was su- Murphy points it out that was like some really good comedy yeah. it really was i really like that he's like worst place in the world to get a flat tire huh <laughs> <laughs> he's like oh yeah yeah the funny part i think is is that was the only thing they suffer, which is the flat tire, big deal. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> you get the gas station. Yeah, the gas station was interesting because Jim has his little moment mm-hmm. with the kid. He has to. You can't say kill. I mean, well, you, I guess you can in this yeah. case. Yeah. So he ends the kid because he's going to be attacked, but he doesn't say anything. No, but there's two big moments for Jim where he makes sort of his turn as he grows, because in the beginning he's fucking useless, yeah, which yeah. he should be useless. Uh, he's been in a coma for 28 days. Now, because I'm thinking about it, this is maybe more of a question because it is a question. Do you feel like maybe that's a metaphor or an analogy of like him ending his childish side? Like he has to kill the child in him, perhaps, because of the circumstances and he can't just rely on other people. You know, like a he kid. definitely has to toughen up in some way, so you can yeah. read it like that. I think really easily uh, because I'm like, ah, that's why I choose a kid for that particular moment mm-hmm. if it didn't have a meaning. But the kid, as we're saying, is is one big moment. And that's kind of where he becomes willing to kill, because that comes up later. Mm-hmm. That's where he realizes, like, it doesn't matter the circumstance. Every once in a while, it comes down to you versus me. Yeah, it's survival. Which he didn't have in the beginning. But in the very beginning, he was completely useless. And the other <laughs> yeah, big change yes. comes when he gets to shave. Yeah. And after the point right. he gets to shave, it's like he's fit back into his own skin a little bit, mm-hmm. and he's actually contributing to the group and throwing out ideas. And Yeah, you're right. There's like a resemblance of himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is, I think that's a good point. 
in between some of those things you write, there's some songs to have to point out because this soundtrack I did mention is really good. There's the soundtrack a, does a lot of work in a couple scenes in this movie. It really does. I like when they're going shopping at the you know, was, the, the mart. That's Granddaddy's AM one eighty. Like I listened to that <laughs> a good bit. So that was kind of cool hearing that. And maybe the odd thing about that is, is they're not an English band. They're from California. Without getting into that, there's some interesting bits of information why they do that. Anyway, I like that. And then, um, yeah, much later on, there's another couple of songs I'll mention that I like too. But they eventually do get to Manchester, right? After all the stuff they kind of go through. Maybe even before that too. I do like the horses scene too. I think that's kind of mm. another kind of a really cool shot. But it also drives home the point that amidst all of this shit, there is still a sense, a bond that people can have, like a family unit, like you were saying. Uh, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. That's another part that just really that, reaffirms that a, the fact that they've formed into this. That's a really cool this scene. This post-apocalyptic family. Yeah, and I like the fact too that it was just kind of a, a feel with some ruins. I don't know exactly what to what extent. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that, the whole sequence is really cool. I drove home that point. All the way to the drive to Manchester, like I said, you can see the city burning. They make it to that blockade. There's nobody there. I thought this was a clever way of driving home the point of rage. Because when it appears it's vacant, like that blockade, it's vacant. And Frank is pissed, you can tell. Because he's like, you know, where are we going to drive to next? Where the fuck are we going? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, this was supposed to be it. So he's kind of raging, and he sees that crow pecking at the corpse, and because he's raging, he tries to shoo off, and he becomes infected. So it's driving home the point of, like, this is what rage is, and now it's multiplied, or it's infected him. And it's sort of just exemplary, still of his character, but how the rage just came out sideways Mm -hmm. to hurt people that he liked. Because I, I still feel like it's well within his character is portrayed for him to still want to protect the sanctity of a corpse. Mm-hmm. He's already dead. No, you're Don't right. fuck with it. You're right. You're right. That was the whole point, that why he was shooing the bird off in the first place. And then as Jim has to put him down, instead, <laughs> Your boy gets he gets shot lit down. the fuck up. <laughs> right in front of the girl, too. And it's like, fucking hell. So here's the thing. Those guys had been waiting there. The whole time, dicks. So knowing their plan later and what they had been promised, mm-hmm. they were they cutting were, down the odds. They were just cutting down the odds. Uh, well, not only that, but they had the perfect moment because he did, he did get infected. So either way, they were going to sabotage. They have plausible deniability. Yeah, yeah. They have. I mean, it's perfect. Yeah. But all they had to do was wait. Exactly. And that's what they were doing. I feel like even if Frank had not all that shit happened to them, eventually they probably would have popped out and still gone through it's just you're right this is a perfect chance to cut one more dude out (laughs) so now that we're introduced to the soldiers and we're about to be introduced to eccleston and Mm -hmm. i've already alluded as to what their prize is supposed to be this is where i because i've been talking about it this entire time where i think this movie is really neat because you've been watching this kind of short but obvious character arc for selena Mm -hmm. as she changes as she's brought back into sort of a family unit from her thinking survival's enough yeah eccleston is a really nice guy who still operates by the rule survival's enough oh good point yeah because he doesn't care what he has to do as long as they're surviving because he's still nice and affable and they're surviving because survival's enough (laughs) 
And now she's changed her ways to where that's not just enough. Even when she thinks she's completely fucked, she takes a moment to think of somebody else. Yeah. You know, I think that's a neat thing, too, that he allowed in his film, in this film in particular, is the input of the actors, right? Mm -hmm. You had mentioned he and uh, Naomi discussed, of course, Selena's character. But there's also a moment in this film that drives a certain narrative for this was that whole blockade setting them up because they need women, right? Mm -hmm. So Killian Murphy and I think Eccleston and a couple of others put some input into that. Like, this is, you know, more plausible of why they sent out that signal and why they have this whole compound, et cetera. So I thought that was kind of neat too. Like, you know, it carries out a plot. It, it, it makes sense in a way because there's still a sense of that patriarchy. Mm-hmm. They're treating the most effeminate member as the female in this group. It's like, it's a little Calvarish. Do you think they were fucking him? I hope not. I mean, but at some point, had nobody showed up? They already had him in the apron. Just saying, that's... Do you think they had him in the apron, or do you think he had on the apron? I think there's a little bit of both. <laughs> they were probably egging him on, and he, you know, was like, all right, cool. <laughs> I'm not sure if I liked or didn't like when we were introduced to Mailer that they gave him the Evil Dead run-up, so you kind of knew it was coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean... There was a little bit on the nose, like some foreshadowing moments. You know that. Because I think that's one of those times where you can have a legit jump scare. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not a forced jump scare, but one that makes sense within context. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was, was but pretty he honest, had, yeah. I mean, maybe it was just because he was being consistent, because he used that Evil Dead run-up in a couple other attacks. But because he used it in a couple other attacks, I was just like, oh, Mailer's infected. Yeah. Uh, you know, this is jumping back just a little bit. That scene in the tunnel I did want to bring up, it's like it was reminiscent a little bit of the film Demons. Mm. So I wonder if there was any influence there. That's all I'll say. But it, it did remind me a little bit of the way they ran. Anyway, mm-hmm. I guess back at the blockade, right, with Mailer you're talking about. There comes a point where they're having a dinner. And during that dinner sequence prior, the guys were setting up outside the perimeter, right? Setting up mines or whatever. And the infected do come out and attack. It interrupts dinner. And the guys have a field day of sorts. Mm-hmm. I did chuckle a little bit at one of the guys. He's talking about the rebound. He'd never seen that before. He's like, fucking hell. <laughs> Some of that was kind of funny, but that kind of spurs things on, too. Well, it's more imminent. Kind of a- and that's also kind of a turning moment because up to that point, all the soldiers have seemed pretty nice. Yeah. And then you start just... seeing how much glee they take in the brutality yeah. of mowing down the infected. Yeah. there's And you're like, oh, these guys might be assholes. Yeah. It's like there's that machismo bravado, you know, there's a lot of testosterone. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, as this is going on. This is where Major West eventually tells them the whole I intentions. Have, I wish I would have took a little bit more detailed notes. I'm pretty sure their brutality stands in stark contrast of a couple of the things Eccleston said at that dinner, too. But yeah, I didn't I, take good enough. What notes. I thought was, was, I mean, this is kind of evident in looking at it now. Is, was it Farrell? Sergeant Farrell? Mm-hmm. He's more of the philosophical guy. He's kind of putting things more into narrative. He talks about this virus and normalcy. He's like, you know, we as a species, if we were to be wiped out... That's normalcy, because we've barely been here. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, you're right. That puts things into perspective in a lot of ways. Yeah, But his philosophy doesn't float the way that 
things are carried on and carried out within this platoon. And because of that, because of that descent, he and Jim both have to become prisoners. They have to be quarantined. And I'm like, ooh, <laughs> we might know a little bit about that. Oh, man. What's his name? Jim? Oh, the other guy? Yeah. Uh, Farrell? Farrell. Farrell's lost it by that point. Oh, too. yeah, yeah. Because there, there is a time where they're in that little cell, and you hear him talking on about um, families at home watching The Simpsons across the Atlantic. Mm-hmm. It's like, while wow, we're here getting fucked up, essentially, like living in an apocalypse. Although this is, he's rambling, and he's kind of lost it. And I mean, he still makes sense, but he's lost it. But it's, he's right. Like, they contained it. You learn later, it's hinted at at the end of this movie, but you learn later, full on in the sequel, that it was contained to Britain. Yeah. Which is kind of weird. There, I mean, there was a little bit of dialogue that Selena says when Mark is still in the frame, when they first all meet, where she says something about Paris and New York. There was reports that it there was some infected there, but... Right, but right. But, but how, we, yeah. But then everything went black and we didn't hear anything, so... Right, so... Maybe that's all there was to that. Well, from what I understand is that the ending of this movie was kind of being rewritten as they were shooting it. This movie was shot almost completely sequentially. Not entirely, but almost. You're right, you're right. And they changed their mind on a few things as they were coming up on it. (laughs) And there is three alternate endings, four alternate endings. And those aren't even like all of the ideas that they had. No, there was... Three that were shot, which two of them are almost identical. One of them is cuts from what we get. Mm-hmm. And there's an alternate one that was just storyboarded. Yeah. Those weren't even the only ones. No, no. There no. was other changes that just were scrapped even earlier in the process. So Yeah, which is which is interesting. Like so that that's why I think having some of the input from other people, outside sources, did help mm-hmm. carry this movie along. All right, so there are prisoners, right? Mm-hmm. And when they go to get quarantined, who is it, Jones and the other guy, they take him out to the dump site. <laughs> but Jones is, you know, he's trigger happy, and they escape. Never really learned what happened to Farrell. Did he get shot, or did he just escape? Oh, no, I think he gets shot. I can't remember Oh, no, exactly. that's the thing, because Marshall wants to take his time, and he's going to, like, slowly gut him with his bayonet. And homeboy is like, no, like, we don't have to fuck around with them like that. Like, we're just sent out here to kill them. Like, let's yeah. shoot them. And as he's about to get them, right. he just <clears throat> gets them instead. Ah, okay. I might have missed that. But either way, is that's Jim's escape. Right? But then that also sets up because Marshall was going to gut him. Yeah. And then he gets it with the bayonet later. He does, which is cool. I mean, it's, you know, things are full circle in this film. But Jim escapes. The girls are getting dressed up back at the estate. Jim goes full fucking Rambo first blood. He does. <laughs> he does. <laughs> but that's, oh, that's Except his... with more killing, so maybe like last blood. Yeah. I've read where people, you know, when you look at this film in certain lights, right? If you don't suspend your disbelief, you're like, how the fuck did this guy go from being like just aimless you know, meandering mm-hmm. and being thrust in the situation, turning to Rambo from being in a coma for yeah, twenty like a month, roughly. Yeah, to you're right, first blood. But all it is is he's going from somebody who's reliant on other men, like a structure. These guys are structured in a sense. There's the father, the priest. There's Frank, who is a father, 
And then Eccleston's character, West, who's the leader of that little platoon. So there's always been a guy in charge up to this point. Now he has to be the one in charge. And you have to gradually ramp it up so that you can get to that end part where it's obvious where you're like, what's the difference? With the way he kills Homeboy, I can't remember his name, but with like the eye gouge and shit, like what's the difference between his rage and the other rage? But you have to get him to that point. And so this is part of just the gradual like workup too. He has to Rambo a little bit if you're going to get him into a state of rage. Yeah. You know, that's interesting, yeah. Because that is a make-or-break moment, right, where Jim is... He's using his rage not in a, I don't know, in, in a benevolent way, in a sense. You know what I mean? He's, mm-hmm. he's helping them survive, as opposed to just out of pure rage, just killing out of pure rage. This actually has a purpose, I suppose. Well, we'll talk about the stuff in between, but while we're right there anyway, I mean, really, I think what the different, what they're saying in that scene, too, is that the difference is is that we can take that second to think about it. We can t- Yeah. That was more than a heartbeat. No, yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Uh, he kills Mitchell. That's the guy's name. That's it. You're absolutely right. That's where you were saying with Selena's character at the very beginning of the film. Like, she, she says she wouldn't hesitate to kill anybody, right? Mm-hmm. If you even think for a moment, like, Jim is more of the emotional center, and he's like, no, I would try to help these people. And she's like, you'd already be dead. You know, mm-hmm. in this case, yeah, she hesitates, and he. But he also out. hesitates. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's the difference. Yeah, I think that's a good point because we talked about it earlier. Like, take the time to listen to the people who know, and don't be rash. Mm-hmm. And sometimes things will work out a lot better. But <laughs> <laughs> okay, so after Jim and Selena have their in a heartbeat conversation, West is in the back of the taxi where Hanny is you know mm-hmm. and oh, we kind of skipped over the whole soldiers are going to rape him shit like yeah get we them did. all dressed up and stuff and you got that really fucking heartbreaking moment where she's like you're not trying to kill me like i couldn't do that to you i'm just trying yeah. to make you not care and you're like whoa fuck that's dark it's, it's heavy yeah i mean that whole situation is very dark but that's what we were talking about with the whole oh, machismo and, I, and, and i accidentally Havana. skipped over the other line that i thought was a big wham moment in this movie was when Christopher Eccleston tells them, I promised them women. Yeah. And you're like, oh. Yeah, he tells Jim. He's like, that was the whole point. You're like, you fucks. I was too stoned to think about it before. No, but that whole moment, too, is false promises, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, regardless, Jim was either going to be a bitch or he was going to get quarantined. (laughs) Right? So Jim uh, brings down the infected horde. Yeah, he does. He does. He becomes kind of a leader, in a sense, in a weird way for the horde. And you also find out that these soldiers really kind of like to spray and pray. They really do. These guys are not very well trained. <laughs> they're not the worst. No, but they're not really that great either. They're not either. great. <laughs> no, considering. But yeah, I, I do like that though. You're right. Once Mailer gets loose and the, the horde starts attacking all the guys, what I was going to say is, is Hannah eventually gets into the taxi and Wes is in the back. And she drives back into the estate, and Mela rips him out. That was fucking dope. Yeah, that was really good. I was like, what the hell is she doing, valiumed up bitch? Yeah. And then I was like, oh, shit. Oh, that was fucking badass, dude. That Got was, him. <laughs> that was dope. Yeah. Like I so said, there were some very good moments where you do feel the intensity of the moment, right? Some of that happens in these sequences. The build-up just to going through the gate was pretty good. Yeah, even before that, too. I think that's where uh, Jim gets shot, right? Yeah. 
it kind of gets left for dead. And that's where, you know, Hannah gives him back his moment mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, they're escaping. And that's Selena and Jim. And Selena and Jim are in the backseat. She's attending to his wounds. They get to the gates, but the gates are locked. So they have to make a decision. And she rams through. But I like the cut, yeah. the freeze. Because <laughs> you're like, oh, shit, what the fuck? And there's these quick cuts that are really cool. I thought the movie ended there. And I was it, like, it feels like you're it. a fucking genius. <laughs> Um, and that's one of the alternates, right? Like, that so was one that's, of his ideas. Okay. That's where you get all these wild... Some of them are weird. Some of them are kind of cuts of each other. Mm-hmm. All right. But what we get is these really quick cuts, right? One of them is Selena Lake. She has a syringe. She's mm-hmm. trying to save Jim. You see the chart that says hell, and then... Uh, that he, was neat. I he, thought that whole little very, very quick... Like him, all fucked up sequences. Really all right, good. I do have to ask the question because the, of the way I watched it, it might be different than the way you watched it. How did you watch this film? I mean, what did you stream this? Or? Hulu, Hulu. Okay, I think I watched this. Yeah, I watched it on Hulu as well. Did you watch past the credits? They add in one of them, don't they? Yeah. I didn't watch it. Okay, okay, okay. That's I why noticed I... that the credits were like eleven minutes long, okay. and I'm like, they must have something at the end. But I don't give a fuck. That's I, why I I'm want. Kind of low on time right now. Good. That's why I wanted to ask that question. Okay. So the ending that you and I both watched, because I watched it on Hulu mm-hmm. the first time, second time, I actually I own a copy, so I watched the oh. second time my own copy, is Jim wakes up in the cottage. Yes. And the women are, um, well, at least Selena that I'm aware of, she's like sewing up more of the cloth tarp mm-hmm. to spell out hello, which we finally see. And Jim goes out in the field with them because Hannah says that she hears the jets Right. And yeah, they get the flyby. Finished drive-by. Yeah, because what the guy says is, are you bringing the helicopters? Mm-hmm. You know, It's more of a hopeful ending, right? It seems like the whole world's not in peril anymore. At least there is some hope of like returning to whatever normalcy is. So yeah, it, there's a hopeful ending. But if you go beyond the credits on Hulu, they do give you an alternate ending, which made me think of this because there is a scene in this film where Jim has escaped those guys that were going to quarantine him mm-hmm. and he's looking up at the sky and he sees a jet fly. Yes. And I was like, okay, that's cool. Because when you watch the alternate ending, you get what I consider the Jacob's Ladder ending <laughs> <laughs> because the way that you get the two endings in the same movie if you watch mm-hmm. it on Hulu. So you get the scene where after the wreck, the girls are pushing Jim into the hospital and they're trying to revive him. And they can't. And so Hannah and Selena have that discussion, like, what do we do next? And she's like, we keep moving. And so it ends with the girls walking out of, like, a corridor or down a hallway as the doors are kind of shutting. Okay. And so you leave with them leaving in the red dresses. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, damn, that was like a fucked up Jacob's Ladder ending because it seems like he was at peace, perhaps, like the way he died. I mean, it's a fucked up way he died. But there was a little bit of... Like hope, because he did see those jets. There's a little bit of hope in him yeah. that survived maybe in his dream state as he was dying. Mm-hmm. So that's what I was thinking. I was like, no, 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 that's actually one of the alternate endings. They just put that in there at the end. <laughs> I like your reading of it better. Like he gets his happy ending, but then you find out that It's not a happy fucked. ending, yeah. yeah, because the women still have to go through this. So we're still down an ending, right? Is there one more? So that's two endings we get. We get oh, the one okay. that's the hopeful ending, that one I just mentioned. There's a... W- Another cut where Jim's still in the hospital, like that same shit's happening. Mm-hmm. But instead of what I was talking about, the Jacob's Ladder ending, mm-hmm. as he's dying, he is remembering the bicycle accident. So it's a dream ending. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, so that was like, <laughs> it's it's kind of funny because you know he's just like on a bicycle, and there's probably green screen behind him. <laughs> yeah, and then eventually gets just just like as they're you know trying to revive him, eventually comes to the point where he does get hit by the car at the intersection, right? And that's where at that moment he's of dead. impact he's dead. Yeah, he yeah. dies, and then the whole they walk away. Okay. So that's three endings. And then, so what's the storyboard? Storyboard ending. I had to write this down because it's a little bit longer. <laughs> is Oh, hold on, hold on. There's another alternate ending oh, okay. before I get to that. Yeah. The other alternate ending is Jim is still dead, but the whole cottage scene plays out the same way, but without Jim. Oh, okay. So, yeah, like, it's still the cottage. Oh, uh, Selena has a conversation with the hen because she's like, we still need you to pass on survival or whatever. She's talking about it laying an egg oh. <laughs> for sustenance. But that's when Hannah comes back inside. She's like, I can hear them. And they go out and they, they still do that whole thing. Just minus Jim. Right. And even like the last line, do you think he saw us this time? They still say that. Mm-hmm. And it still has the flyby ending. Okay. All right. So that's the four ending. Okay. The fifth ending is the storyboard ending. And that one is cut all that shit away. <laughs> Throw all that out, what we just said. Go all the way back to where Frank is still alive. And they still go to the barricade. Okay. Right? Except for this time, the soldiers are not there. He still gets infected. But the group managed to, like, wrestle him and secure him. Okay. You know? Mailer him? Yeah, basically, right? And they travel a little bit north, and they find a research facility that we get at the beginning of the film. So it ties it more into the military carrying out testing. So they take refuge there, and whilst they're in there, Jim and Selena wind up waking up at night because they hear noises. And it leads them to where this guy's taking refuge in a room, and he's barricading himself off. And they're, like, banging on the door trying to get his attention and shit. And what he basically tells them is, like, look, I'm good. <laughs> it's like, you guys are in danger, not me. He's like, I don't need your help. I don't want to know your names. Yeah. He's like, because everybody I've known before you, Peace they died. <laughs> right? He's like, I've got enough to last me another week. Whereas you, you know, you got to worry about the outside. You might not even last within the week. So they have that little conversation. And what they learn is that the only <laughs> this is where Danny Boyle said he's like they didn't know how to end it like where the fuck are we gonna go with this so they did a near dark ending <laughs> oh right okay I did read about this that <laughs> I know what you're getting where they has a total blood transfusion total blood transfusion and you cure one person but the other person it's just, it's a complete up. transfusion right mm-hmm. they have to have the same blood type Jim they they learned that has his, the exact same blood type as Frank. And so Jim sacrifices himself in order for Frank to yeah. not be infected anymore. Yeah. And as that happens, right, Frank is walking out and Jim is strapped down like the chimpanzee and the monitors come on and it's playing out the violence on screen Oh, as he becomes infected. I kind of like that. And that's how it ends. So that's your fifth ending. And I was like, that is pretty wild. I mean, that's, it's totally different, but they changed it. Mm-hmm. And whereas that could have ended that whole, that would have been a completely different movie. Yeah. <laughs> but it would make sense if you're blaming it on the military. And if, you know, if we still got all that play out, even mm-hmm. the beginning to this end, it would make sense, you know. Okay, so there's only a few more things I have to say, and then that that's it. So all right, what do you got? I did watch a featurette behind the scenes. 
And at the time period, and it makes sense because it has more of that British feel and why they decided to make the film in the first place is because of all these pandemics that were happening more in that part of the world, in Europe. Mm-hmm. So one of them, uh, which coincided with this film, was the United Kingdom had the 2001 foot and mouth outbreak. And so they had to kill like 5 million something odd cattle in the United Kingdom. So I remember that briefly because it, mm-hmm. you know, it didn't make international news. But also in 2002, there was two German scientists who created a synthesized version of the polio virus completely from scratch. They knew the, like the DNA sequencing. Yeah. Yeah, and so they like, created oh, it in a lab. Look what we made. Yeah, exactly. Look and what we made. You know, in two parts, like one part they, you know, where they were like getting really bashed for it, but in the second part is like, it also helps you kind of understand maybe viruses in a different light too, mm-hmm. how to combat them. So it's not completely bad. So it's just interesting. Like they knew that because of just that. the new polio, yeah. Yeah, exactly. We've got a good, yeah. But the whole idea was this, and this is why it's a good film that we chose for these same reasons, is that in a time of pandemic, and in this case, the United Kingdom's uh, foot and mouth, the government didn't know how to respond right it took a while for them to kind of figure it out and they went through these fucking drastic measures but the whole point was like in case of these virus breakouts you know how would we respond not just you know in one country but throughout the world and we're kind Mm -hmm. of getting that now it's like it shows you that there's a lot of you know dysfunctional shit happening like we're not as secure as we think we are Mm -hmm. right we're kind of getting that feel in this film even though this film was more of a warning but now we're kind of uh, in a weird way getting to experience that. So yeah, yeah, that was a yeah, little bit weirdly of inspiration. Po- weirdly poignant, but still just good, good yeah. movie. I feel like I was trying to think about it, and this is a movie where, like, I ha- if I had to rate it like on a scale of like one to ten, mm-hmm. I would probably rate it really high. But if you asked me to like line it up against certain other movies, I would probably rate it lower than a lot of other yeah, movies. Yeah, this like I would probably give it like an eight point five, a nine. Like this is a really fucking yeah, well it's done a movie. really solid film. But like if you gave me a list of like twenty movies, oh, yeah, this yeah, movie yeah. Would probably fall somewhere in the middle of the list. Yeah, I would agree with that too. Sentiment. It's like it's a fun one to revisit. It's a. I mean, it's a good film overall. It's a really good film. And, I mean, now, because of, what, like I said, what we're going through, I mean, it's even more poignant. So, it's a little bit ahead of its time, even though it feels dated, mm-hmm. you know. A few more things of note, and I'll kind of end my, my little rant here, is one question that I had, it's not necessarily for us, but it's what they, they kind of propose in this film, which I thought was neat, is that, is rage a societal thing? Is it more of a modern, I won't say invention, but do you look at it in that light, right? Is it because we have road rage and some people get enraged playing video games and just, mm-hmm. you know, there's there's things that get you to a certain point. So is it a modern phenomenon or is it an inherent trait in man and or nature, right? So this film kind of explores that a little bit, which I thought, all right, that's kind of an interesting way of looking at that because, you know, you don't think about it. But I, I know, like, there's times where I've raged playing yeah. video games. I ain't gonna lie. <laughs> Motherfucker. Yeah, but then I'm like... Uh, if I step away from it and I'm like, if I look at myself from a, from a distance, it's like, that's kind of silly. <laughs> so I smoke weed instead. But um, right. anyhow, I was like, okay, that's a cool question to ask. Still and, fuck your uh, The other point, too, you mentioned, too, is like the whole use of using digital video cameras, right? I, I put, you know, it's to mimic the use of CCTV, which I already mentioned earlier. But it was also 
a rare and kind of coincidental way for them to shoot these landmarks, you know, in and around not only London, but in England in general, mm -hmm. because it didn't take them a lot of time to set up. They could shoot. They're like, just like, whoop. Yeah. Got it. Go. So the whole time where they're shooting these scenes, it wasn't digitally created. I mean, they shot these scenes, and yeah, that was really cool, man. They'd block off traffic for yeah like 20 minutes and be like cool got the scene got it get the fuck yeah and i was like man that is crazy so that's what i'm saying maybe this is a little bit more persistent to to the english and people in europe because to them that's more like if we saw new york or la or something like that 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 would drive home the point a little bit more to us but mm -hmm. for them to see like the streets of london piccadilly circus you know mm -hmm. london tower just walking over the thames <laughs> it's like that's like that's scary that's a scary feeling because it, that place is always populated with people so to see him just by himself and the brevity of the situation, like, he's so isolated. It's like, that's a rare opportunity to capture that on film for that time period. So yeah, they got a really cool chance to shoot all that shit, and it makes the film feel even more authentic. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah, so I really appreciated that. But yeah, I mean, this is a fun film to explore in terms of not just what it means within the film, but as a social commentary, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess. In the end, I recommend it. Yeah. I don't really have much else to say on it. Nah, I, like I, I really enjoyed it all, for all the people that are in it. it. Yeah. <laughs> Do we have next week picked out? I was just thinking that. I was like, I don't think so. I know we mentioned some other films, but... Uh, all right, we'll figure that we'll figure out. It out. In order to listen to us next week, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. That would be awesome. If there's any way to rate and review however you're listening to us right now, that would also be super awesome because everything in the world right now is algorithms. And you all know that because you listen to podcasts. Like, you have shit recommended to you all the time through the different players you have to use to do that. So that gets us into the algorithm. That's a huge help. It. And we thank you very much for all of that. If you want to contact us, you can hit us up, squirmcast at gmail.com, or go over to the website, www.friedsquirms.com. You can contact us through there, hit all of our back archive, check out anything else we might throw up on there. And while you're there, you will notice through the links at the top that we are part of the Earworm Podcast Network, yeah. you can check out how that is going to grow more and more especially as we become more and more quarantined uh, <laughs> uh, but no i talk about nerdy shit over on general nerdery danny has a show coming up yeah uh, also you can go listen to the art of wargaming where my co-host from general nerdery talks about wargaming and machiavelli and coming up frederick the great and all sorts of crazy shit That's awesome historical meets 40k meets yeah. bellagarth all sorts of fun great shit and that is E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. That'll be the easiest way to keep up on all of the developments across the network. That's all I got. Yeah, nice. But yeah. Oh, and all the social medias. Search for Fried Squirms. We're what pops up. There we go. Yeah, exactly. But once again, if you have recommendations, suggestions for films, and if you're a filmmaker, need some help, you know, getting some eyeballs on films, let us know. We're always up for the challenge. Hells Yeah. So we're going to go, like, figure out what we're going to watch next week. Yeah. But for this week, I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried Squirms. Oh. Ow.